Welcome to Feels Like Healing with me, Al Lewis. A podcast where I talk to artists about how creativity has helped them process their grief. The reason I'm making this podcast is because when I was 21, I lost my dad to MS. That seismic moment in my life made me decide to become a singer-songwriter. I'd been making music before that point, but never considered it a life choice or as a career. However, after the death of my dad, creativity became a solace for me and a way I could express both my joy and my pain. It made me feel alive in the very moment when I was confronted with the ephemeral nature of life and the devastating reality of loss. So I wanted to talk to other people who've ended up in the creative world, but who've also experienced loss, to see whether they have similar stories of why they got into creativity or whether they were already creative people and just happened to suffer grief. I hope during these conversations that I will come to better understand grief and why it makes us feel how we feel and do what we do. This is Feels Like Healing. My guest this week on Feels Like Healing is the jazz musician, saxophonist, composer, band leader, um, quite a few titles there, uh, Mr. Jesse Ryan. How's it going, Jesse? You okay? I'm good, man. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's great to have you. It's great to have our first international guest. Oh, wow. Everyone so far has been from the UK, but you are originally from Trinidad, am I right? Um, That's correct, yeah. But now based in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. So um, perhaps you could give the listeners a bit of a bit of backstory about, um, you say, you know, you grew up in Trinidad. What was life like for young Jesse back then? And, and when did music first come into your life? Yeah, I mean... Uh Trinidad, I was just there, uh, just like I returned to around two days ago. My heart is still very much in Trinidad. Um, I yeah. have very, very fond memories growing up. I grew up um, in the capital of Trinidad in Port of Spain, a very small place in Port of Spain called Belmont, mm-hmm. oh, which means beautiful hill. So it's a really, really hilly area. So I have lots of memories just walking up and down the different hills in, in, in Belmont. Um, but also, just grew up in a really loving, supportive family. Um, I'm the middle child. I have an elder sister, a younger brother. And um, we were always encouraged to be creative. Um, you know, Belmont is not a very wealthy community to, uh, per se, mm-hmm. um, but it's very culturally wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of um, cultural icons um, have come out of Belmont. Um, one of the reasons is because um, there was an orphanage um, in Belmont and they used to run really good music programs at the orphanage and wow. so a number of really um, well-known musicians have come out of um, that orphanage you know, in, in Belmont. Um, and I think there's something to be said about uh, adversity yeah. and how that really helps people, well, people deal with their adversity by being creative. Mm. You know, and so I think that's kind of the the context you know of f- growing up in Belmont. Um, Trinidad is also really culturally and ethnically diverse place. So um, you know, I grew up in the church in in in, in Trinidad in the Pentecostal church, um, and um, but my neighbors were like uh, of East Indian descent. Yeah. And uh, so I grew up hearing them blasting the Hindu prayers every morning, cool. six, six, six a.m. <laughs> but then my dad have neighbors that would, you know, blast their music um, on a Sunday. My family wasn't too much into blasting music, but <laughs> we listened to music at, at, at home. 
Um, a reasonable then, volume, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then up on the hill, further up the hill, I can hear like the Shouter Baptist um, church um, on the hill, like drumming, um, using African drums. Cool. Um, and then just walking down, you know, in my walking through my neighborhood, I can hear steel pan and and all all different sounds um, musically um, was kind of being sewed into my ear. And then my grandfather, he's um who passed away just um beginning of this year. His, his name is um Clifton Ryan. He's a was a really well known calypsonian on the island called the Mighty Bummer. Huh. And um, so you know, music was part of my family DNA. Yeah. Um. When did you first pick up an instrument? And was the first instrument you picked up a saxophone or was it something else? No, it was something else. I came to the saxophone when I was uh, around 14. Um, but I started singing in church choirs from a really early age. From there, well, my dad also sang and played in, um, in, in church, built the guitar and, and, and the bass. And so we always had a guitar lying around. And I think one day I remember my dad went out somewhere and I decided to just grab his guitar and just... Um, he had a book, just took the book out and just tried to tried to learn something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was excited to just kind of show him, you know, that I was kind of following in his footsteps kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And then I moved on to playing the steel pan, you know, steel oh, pan okay. is a national instrument of Toronto and Tobago. And that was around the age of uh, nine. And then I went to high school at the age of 12 and I started to play um, piano um, and recorder. Oh wow! So you you really are a multi instrumentalist then, and, and do you still play all these other instruments to this day, or is it mainly saxophone now that you? Well, saxophone is my main instrument. Um, I do play um a little flute. Um, I, I <laughs> another one. A, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was kind of I had to study flute a little bit when I was doing my my undergrad degree. Um, and then piano. I, I play piano in church still. You know. Yeah. Um. I would say there there are four instruments that I'm generally proficient on, you know, but the others I kind of like know enough about them. So did you um, always think growing up that you would be a musician? Was that always the path that you thought you were going to take? No, I didn't think I would be a a creative. I shouldn't say a creative person, but um, I was growing up. I really liked art Mm -hmm. because I was a super introvert growing up. Um, my sister, my elder sister, she was extremely boisterous and extroverted and a people person. And I was just kind of the opposite. I would sit in a corner and draw all day. Um, I was still, you know, a thinker and I would communicate really well with my family members. But outside of that, you know, it was really, really quiet. Um, so I didn't think, I mean, I, I remember from a young age, there was an uncle of mine that I looked up to and he was a policeman. So I wanted to be a policeman growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around the age of uh, 10, I realized that, huh, introverts aren't, aren't, aren't that cool. <laughs> at least, at least, at least in my ten-year-old brain, <laughs> I'm still that's very much a, an introvert. Yeah, that's quite a deep yeah. thought for a ten-year-old. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, I remember the moment pretty well because I think it was at like at a camp or something, and I remember making a joke as I would with my family members, and I, I never did it in public. Um, and then everybody laughed, and I was like, "Huh, I can do something creatively, and that has an effect on other people." Mm. Huh. 
I remember having that 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 thought, and I thought, okay, maybe I, maybe I should open up a little bit more. And then my sister was getting into dance, and so she was teaching me to dance at home. And then I started to do like, uh, like break dancing, um, with my elder sister. And then, so I think I went through a kind of a, a long process of coming out of my shell a little bit more, and then being introduced to the saxophone. And then once that happened, and I was introduced to jazz, I started to tour with the idea of, oh, maybe maybe I could do this as a career you know I, I mean I, I don't know what it must be like because for me um creativity had always been just a, a hobby a pastime until um and I, I'd always just been more of an academic person doing you know your traditional subjects I never I never studied music at school so I'm always intrigued to meet people who who have this idea of of pursuing it pursuing it academically so what yeah what were you thinking after after you'd studied it what was going to be the next stage of your life after that was it to to become a professional saxophonist is that what you wanted because you're also a composer and a band mm-hmm. leader or did you always think you would mix the, the the things together yeah from a very early well very earlier on once i started to play the saxophone I fell in love with it really quickly, and I want. I knew that that was kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't have a clear. I well, I knew that I wanted to do it at a really high level. I didn't. I didn't really have a concept of what being a professional musician was at the time. And I think one of the instrumental people in my life was my then music teacher. She really saw something. I think she saw something different in me. Um, and as a matter of fact, I met with her just. Uh, last week, Friday, when I was back in, home in Trinidad, I went to visit her, and she was reminding me of how inquisitive I was, um, and I was always asking questions about things, and uh, and she was always there to answer, and she was, uh, she's, by the way, uh, her name is Michelle Huggins, what, she's an award-winning pan arranger um, cool. in Trinidad, and so she was always there to answer the, the questions. I'm going to give you a bit of a frivolous story, but it was one that, that was an important uh, point in my journey. So I started to play um, the saxophone around 14 years old and I started to perform with the school's pan ensemble. All of these Anglican schools um, came together um, for this big celebration and I played uh, one song and from the very first note I played on the saxophone all the girls went <laughs> in the audience and I was like, huh. Maybe That's a handy, this. handy tool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, so we've come to the in, real reason, Jesse, why you've become a saxophonist. Well, here's the next part of the story. So after I finish play, I'm holding my saxophone in the case and I go back to my seat in the audience and nobody even bats an eye at me, <laughs> right? Nobody pays any attention. So very quickly I realized there's some utility in playing the saxophone, but it doesn't mean that people are automatically going to just, you know, I'm not a celebrity, you know, so I got a real reality check there really, really <laughs> quick. But but I, I think it was so pivotal because I, I was realizing the impact of music on, on people. And I was getting really busy, gigging all the time. I had joined a new band and we were, we were recording. I'd kind of like just started like my professional life as uh, at sick around 16, 17. And um, I really was, my head wasn't in school. I really failed sixth form, like lower six really bad. and um, one of my teachers at the time called me aside and said, hey, this is, you know, your grades are really bad. Maybe you should focus on music if that's what you really, really want to do. And so I dropped out the sixth form and um, 
my music teacher at the time said, hey, this, this is the part. You do your SATs and then you apply to some schools in the States because I think that's where you should go. You shouldn't stay in Trinidad. Um, and so that's what I did. And um, from that point, I knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a professional musician. And there were a couple examples I had at the time of people who um, were a little bit of, ahead of me. One of them is Etienne Charles, a young musician from Trinidad. Well, at the time, he was maybe just a couple of years older than me. Uh, he had already left. And so people kind of told me, hey, you know, this guy is already doing this. And maybe you should also follow suit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- yeah, I'm struck by also what you said about how you were an introverted person as a mm-hmm. as a kid. Did you did you find something in being creative in performing in front of people that helped you perhaps express yourself in a way that maybe you couldn't in normal conversations? Was that one of the appeals of music or or making connections with people? What was it that appealed to you at such a young age to to want to do this for the rest of your life? You know what? I think um, I kind of heard two questions there. I'm going to try to tackle them both. Because <laughs> I think on the personal side, I think what was happening is that as I got older, I was desiring to connect with people more. And I realized that I couldn't necessarily do that by sitting in a corner drawing all day. <laughs> and so... And I think I was becoming more self-aware and I was becoming a teenager and I wanted to be cool as well. <laughs> so I was, um, <laughs> shout out to my sister, I was trying to take up some cool facts for my sister. Because um, <laughs> she was always loved and liked anywhere she, she could. She just had a, a big, amazing personality. Um, and so I think there was a bit of that. Um, but in terms of uh, expressing myself, um, I think... To this day, I, I still think that, um, you know, one of the reasons why I've had, you know, some level of success as a musician is not necessarily because of my ability to play, but it's because of my ability to think. And I think through exactly, okay, what, what am I experiencing? How, how do I communicate this? And how can mm-hmm. I communicate it in a way that people, other people can relate to? Mm-hmm. And I can mix the familiar with the unfamiliar um, so that it feels like, oh, yeah, that, that's good. But it also just kind of makes people think or, or just kind of like tilt their head a little to, to, to listen to what's happening. So um, I, I think that and I think that's where the composition part comes in. My high school teacher, she always encourages to compose um, and um, also write about composition. You know, you also think, we're always thinking and writing about composition and listening and analyzing different things. So that sort of like an- analytical uh, mind um, was instilled, you know, even from high school. So I think those are the kind of things that determine my trajectory as a musician. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and so, as, as I think... I've alluded to before, um, when I asked you on this podcast, it was because I'd come across a song of yours called uh, The Night Before She Passed. Yeah. What you've just alluded to about making a connection um, and making people think, well, that that song, I mean, mean, immediately that title made me think and then listening to it and um, the beautiful poignancy of the track, um, yeah, really connected with me and resonated with me and made me get in touch with you.
And yeah. so I wanted to ask, um, well, first of all, that song is about the loss of your mother. Was, yeah. was that loss the first time you'd experienced grief or have, had you experienced grief before, before that point? I would say I've had two experiences of grief before then. Um, one was my great grandmother on my mother's side when I was about um, twelve years old. Um, but I wasn't extremely close to her. Um, I know that there was some, there was a sense of loss, especially for my for my mom and and my and my grandmother. Um, and then the second experience was uh, a friend. Um, he was a bit younger than me, so he was kind of. I was kind of a, a mentor to him, mm-hmm. and um, he was shot and killed in his community. Oh, um, and um, that was sort of like the first experience I had with grief, where I was actually close with the person. Mm. But I had never experienced grief of a really intimate, um, the passing of an intimate close family member, uh, which is a very different thing. Um, so, you know, I remember when I left um, Trinidad in, back in 2013, I had this sort of like underlying fear of losing a loved, like a close loved one while I was away. And, um, you know, it came, it came to pass, you know. Mm. As a matter of fact, the two people that I was really afraid of losing were my mom and my grandfather. Um, and not that, I, not that I didn't, was afraid of losing my dad, but I didn't know that those two stood out to, yeah. to me. Um, yeah, so it's definitely the first of that kind, you know. And what was the instigation for you, having lost your mum, to want to compose a piece of music about it because um this podcast i i lost my dad i think i wrote when i wrote to you i mentioned that and that was sort of for me uh, a springboard to becoming a singer songwriter and writing songs and searching for some solace through that grief and that pain was was that something you were looking for when you composed that? Was that the first piece, by the way, the the one that I'd listened to that you'd written about your mum? Yeah, it was the first um, song that I written and wrote. She passed away in 2017. In some ways, I was trying to process my emotions. Mm. Um, and uh, for for anyone that has lost a loved one you know that there's a lot that you have to process. You, mm-hmm. You're processing your own memories um, with the person. You're, you're processing um, the circumstances surrounding the person's death. You're processing your own relationship with your emotions in that, mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, and then for me, there was an added layer because I wasn't able to travel home, back mm-hmm. home, before she passed. I had some own, like my own health things going on, and the doctors pretty much said, you can't travel right now. Mm. Um, and so I had to wait to get clearance to travel, and uh, it, it worked out where the day that my mom passed, I got clearance, I got tra- clearance oh, to travel. Oh, right, so, so, um, so there was that, and there was, so I, I'm, and I've spoken to uh, someone else who recently lost um, a close family member, and we... 
he, he started to talk about something that I really that really resonated with me, a sense of, of guilt mm. that often comes along with, with grief. Um, I experienced it because I felt like I should have been there. I mm. could have been there. Um, and uh, if I had not been so selfish to want to pursue my own dreams and leave home, I left home, you know, I could have been there, you know. Mm. Um, but, you know, that was just... Um, just a, a thought distortion. It's not true. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and so just working through all of those things. Um, so yes, I was trying to process my own um, emotions. I I think that one of the purposes of you know me being alive and creating is to think and imp- inspire people through thought, through have through beginning to write this. I knew that I want to write something, and as I was writing the song. I knew that I didn't want it to be a sort of like a melancholy ballad. I was trying to process my emotions. But then I was also realizing that there were so many people who had lost loved ones that really needed a space to process their own emotions because it's not something that we talk about a lot. You know? no. So, yeah. And how long a process was it for you before you felt like you wanted to, uh, to write, to compose and perform after losing your mum? Was it, did you stop or, or was it, a, a, was there a, a gap in time for you or did you, did you like a lot of people just plow, just dive straight into your work and not, and you know, bear, almost bury yourself in your work to help get over it? What was your way of dealing? I think it's a bit of all of those things, to yeah. be honest. Um, I do think though that, um, I did kind of just like dig in and focus on my work a little bit more. One of the disadvantages and I guess at the same time benefits of not being in, in Trinidad is that um, obviously I couldn't be, have been there when she passed away. But that also meant that I didn't necessarily have to face it every day. Mm. As opposed to my dad and my siblings, you know, who lived in, in, in the house. Um, so I just kind of um, dug into my work a little bit. I mean, you know, man, like grief could be sometimes really crippling. Mm. And um, I just tried to deal with it in, in, in small stints as much as I could. Um, and the writing of the song really helped me to, to, to do that and process it, at least at an intellectual level. And then, you know, sometimes my... my my heart would catch up with what my head was thinking yeah. and, and processing those emotions. I'm gonna say, when did you when did you write finish writing and and start the idea of recording that song? Was it long after your mum had passed? I think it was about a year after um, that I finished writing it, and um, it was just kind of sitting there. I knew that I wanted to record it at some point, and. Um, I think the first time I actually performed it live, well, I guess it was more virtual, <laughs> was <laughs> through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an for International Jazz Day, I think, in 2020. I did it online. Actually, I think I, I, I had shared a bit of it online before, just like on my Instagram profile and just kind of talking about my own sense of grief. Yeah, it's a bit of a blur to be honest. I, I knew that I, 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 when she passed away, I knew that I wanted to write something. And then a couple of months after, I, I sat down and started to write something um, when I had some time. And then by a year later, I had it like really um, all done. What did that feeling of writing that song do for you? Did it, did it feel like that was 
that was all that needed to be said or needed to be performed for you? Is that, is that song the encapsulation of your grief or do you feel like there's more in there that needs writing? There's definitely more. Um, I think the song captures what I was feeling at that time. Um, and I think it's a combination of grief, loss, in the in the frame in in your head jesse for the night yes. before she passed what what yeah. was happening that night yeah i think that's exactly where we should go because i'm i was actually trying to cap to capture the emotions i felt that night so um the way that it happened is that um just to give a more some more context so my mom was 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 um was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of of, of cancer in October of 2016. It was devastating at the time, but you know my family is really optimistic. You know, where um, I grew up in the church, so there's a sense of you know there's faith that you know there's going to be uh, we're going to come out on the on the on the good side of this. Um, she had one surgery, successful. Then they realized you know. It returned. She had another surgery in January, and then they realized it had returned again. And um, so it was pretty quick. She passed away July twenty seventh of the following year. Um, and so I also didn't know exactly how sick she was. Mm. So this, the she's passed away, and I believe it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. Saturday, my dad called me and he said, "Hey, things are not looking too good." And um, I knew she was recovering. I didn't know she was getting worse. Mm. And so, within a couple of days, I saw her go from. I mean, she was a, a really skinny at that point in time, so like almost like non-responsive. So the night before she passed, um, my dad. I remember he was kind of like holding her, and he took her to the to the to the bathroom, and um, he put put it on and we were just kind of just there encouraging each other and just we, we prayed together and um then the call ended and there was this great sense of loss for me um loss just because seeing her in that state was a state was a sense of loss for me mm. um and so there was also a sense of like just like numbness because there's so much to process in those moments you know seeing your mother go through like you know the greatest adversity of, you know fighting for her life literally but I was still hopeful, but, you know, in this sense of, like, great, like, anxiety, you know, around the whole thing. So I was uh, trying to fit all of those emotions into the song, you know, 
uh, each section of the song tries to capture capture different um, emotion. So, do you think, therefore, that there are um, chapters of your grief that you will perhaps tackle in the future? Because, like as you said, that 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 song really is a point at which, like you said, your mum is facing the greatest adversity, mm-hmm. but she hadn't passed. You hadn't. Um, you hadn't started processing grief and loss. Is that? Is do you think will music and composing play a part in you telling and you c- communicating those extra emotions, like you said, that happen beyond that point? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always. I I haven't you know formulated a particular uh, tune ideas yet, but there are some other creative things that I've worked on. Um, so one of them, I mean, I can't share too much, but um, in her, <laughs> but after after uh, after she passed, I had a real sense of urgency around life, mm. um, and um, making the best, like living my life to the fullest, achieving my fullest potential, mm. um, because I had this great sense, you know, life is short. Yeah. Um, and so I started to sort of journal. Um, about all the th- all about all the things that I thought about doing before that I hadn't. Um, I wouldn't call it a bucket list, but it was more so uh, things that I wanted to do or were afraid of doing um, that I didn't necessarily give myself permission to do, mm-hmm. um, like starting a family. Um, so once you pass, I was like, life is short. Go ahead and start your family. You know, mm-hmm. and so I had a great sense of urgency around those things. And I want to do something creative with that idea um, about life being, you know, short. The other part of grief that I think I still haven't really shared about is how losing a loved one, how it affects the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, depending on the family you grew up in, but moms hold such a huge place in families. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if you had, you know, a mom that was really supportive and really, um, really held the family together and all of that, you know, losing a mom is like a you know, huge void. And my mom was that person, mm-hmm. and so it's really affected our family dynamics. Um, it's 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 different. Um, obviously, my mom, my dad has lost his partner over thirty something years, um, and my siblings have lost their mom, and so we're we're sort of trying to figure out what our family dynamics is, and I think. Yeah. Um, fundamentally, as again I mentioned, I think you know part of my role as a creative person is to um, think about these things and communicate them in a way where I create a space for other people to talk about it and reflect on it. So I'd love to write something about you know that, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> so how have you found now that you've put that song out there? What's the response been like? Have you had people? contacting you have you how have, have you found that that song has resonated in a way that other compositions haven't with your with your public and your fans yeah i think um you know i've well first of all i've received um so many messages from different people who have lost loved ones and um just i'm reflecting about how the song has resonated with them i mean that's kind of one of the reasons why i'm sitting here chatting with you right now mm. um the song, I mean, I released my debut album in 2020 and it was very much celebrating my, um, you know, Caribbean, Trinidadian heritage um, specifically. Um, 
And I think what this song has done is just kind of showed a different, a more personal side um, of, I don't know, with me sharing my personal story of, of grief. Um, but I was intentionally, uh, and the way that I shared this song, intentionally trying to create a space for others to process their own grief. And I think it's doing that. I mean, the song has been doing pretty well um, on Spotify right now. It's been out for uh, three weeks, and I think we're about to hit 30,000 streams or something like that, um, which may seem like a small number to, to megastars, but it's huge <laughs> for uh, no, an indie good jazz musician. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for trying to be. Talking about streams might seem like vanity metrics, but um, I think there's something um, about the intentionality around what this song means to me and how I put it out into the world that's yeah. resonating um, with, with people. Um, Has it made yeah. you feel more confident in, or were you, did you always feel confident in, in talking about your grief? Because I, I really struggled. This is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to make this podcast is because right. talking about dad, well, I couldn't basically, I would just break down and, and it became one of these elephants in the room that I just couldn't mm. talk about. What about you? Did, was, was it always something that you felt confident in talking about your mum or has this song helped open that up a bit for you? You know what? I had a really interesting experience with releasing this song. So I'm currently working with a, a team of um, music business students at my alma mater, Humber College. And so they have been helping me promote, you know, with the campaign and all of that. And, um, if you were to ask me that question, maybe let's say a month ago, I would say, yeah, you know, it was always comfortable for me to talk about it. But they gave me an assignment that made me realize that I actually wasn't comfortable <laughs> talking, talking about it. So they wanted me to share sort of part of my personal story about my mom um, and the grief and just kind of open up and be more personal. And it took me at least a week to even really hear what they were asking me to do. Mm. and then. For me to be able to do that, I had to, because they wanted to be involved in that process and kind of help me tell the story. And I had to totally lock them out. I said, yeah. no, I'm, I'm, it's okay, I'm going to handle this one. And I had to sort of take myself to that place. Yeah. And I realized that there was so much more processing that I needed to do. Um, you know, and the way that I've experienced my grief has been um, sort of like involunt in, in involuntary waves. Um, of emotion, um, I, I tend to live in my, you know, my my head a little bit more and try to rationalize things and all of that. Um, but then every now and then, there's like this explosion of emotion. That um, so, long story short, in in general, I think I've been open about my grief and and for the most part, being able to talk about it, um, but more so talk about it from my head. And it takes me a bit longer to really connect their the heart and how I really feel about it. And that's harder for me mm. to do, especially to speak to, um, you know, to strangers, which I don't do about, about it. Well, I guess I've been doing that for like the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. We're promoting this song. So. And does it feel like it's helping? 
I think so. Um, it's hard to tell, to be honest, man. Like I, like, like I said, I, I live in this headspace so much <laughs> that it's easy for me to sort of like, you know, intellectualize the things that I'm experiencing and just kind of talk about them. Um, doesn't mean that I always really connected deeply to what I'm, um, I'm feeling in the moment. And that's, that's sort of the work that I'm doing. Um, I know that it's helping me to honor her memory. Yeah. Um, I know that it's helping me to create a space for other people to process um, their own sense of grief. Um, has has being are, this has being this personal and this open changed mm-hmm. your outlook about how you're going to approach creativity moving forward? Creativity, um, composing, being a, being a musician. You know, in my early years of development, was really a performative sort of thing. Um, so I would create this thing and I would share it and I would see how people respond to this thing. But when you experience an, something so personal um, and specific, everybody is not going to be able to identify with it. And, I, and when I was thinking about releasing this song, I kind of struggled about how I would do that because, you know, grief and death and this is it's a dark topic that a lot of yeah. people don't talk <laughs> it's about. Not a, it's not a top 10 viral hit subject. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I was like, how am I going to do this? Uh, are people going to, um, you know, how are they going to respond? Are they going to like the song? Are they going to f- find, okay, cool tune, but I don't want to interact with it because it's like it's yeah. going to take me to a dark space. Yeah. So um, I think it's been, it's been helping me um, to realize well, to come into a new space of owning, it's changed the dynamic between creator and listener for me. Um, I, I, I'm just sort of owning that process a little bit more. And um, I still value that sort of feedback loop that happens when you put music out into, into the world. But um, it's, it's kind of helped help me to put more weight on my process versus how people respond um, to what I put out into the, into the world, I think. <laughs> yeah I don't think. overthink it now jesse don't overthink <laughs> it. <laughs> so um so as we sort of look ahead now you've released mm-hmm. this song um can we expect more songs about your mum or about dealing with personal issues moving forward are you going to be as personal and as open um Absolutely. for fu- future releases and, and what do you have coming up i think one thing growing up in the church gave me is that I was always thinking about how, well, the place of morality um, in, in, in our lives. I'm going to keep doing that. As a matter of fact, all of my music kind of comes from that place. Um, I have another song that I, uh, it's, an, it's a, not an original, but it's an arrangement of one of my grandfather's calypsos cool. um, that I plan to release um, pretty soon. Um, so that's you know honoring his life and his yeah. legacy, and uh, there's another song I'm, I'm working on that is called "Don't Look Over Your Shoulder." I've performed it for many years, so I'm planning to release that. And it's 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 a song that I wrote about. Um, I actually wrote it to myself because um, my my journey to you know have a sustainable uh, that's funny sustainable career in music. I always <laughs> laugh when I say that to myself, <laughs> but you get what I'm trying no. to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, my journey has been a, a, a rocky one like so many others um, so I wrote this song to myself but the, the point of the song is just an, an encouragement to keep going mm. um, don't look back just keep going so 
um, I'm, I plan to continue to share music that has a personal, you know, tilt of my own experiences. Um, but more so, I'm, I'm working on a, a suite of music that's for um, jazz, my jazz quintet, um, string quartet, and chorale. Cool. Um, that uh, it's a large ensemble project, and it's taking me forever and a day to finish it. Um, but uh, Celestial Fix is the name of the um, of the ensemble, and the 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 suite is called Virtue Suite. Um, and so since my mom's passing, I really kind of went in what a little bit more and decided started to reflect on um, transcendent idea. So the suite is a seven part suite. And it's based on each each movement is based on a uh, a virtue that I've re- reflected on in the last five years. Um, so the first, ironically enough, the first virtue um, is death. You know, our frame, our, how we re- respond to death is, um, you know, it's it's a dark thing. It's about loss. Um, but for me, I I sort of had to reframe my my relationship with death after my mom's passing. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons, um, to be able to process it, because it's one of those things that really throws you in a, in a, in a loop. It, it has you questioning everything about life um, when you experience great loss. Um, but also how I saw my mom courageously and gracefully um, approach the greatest adversity that she could ever face. Um, really inspired me to reframe my how I, how I looked at death as I, I, I now see it as part of, you know, the life cycle. Yeah. And um, the circumstances surrounding how somebody die obviously affects, you know, how you process that, but it's still part of the life cycle. We, we're born and there's a day for us to, 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 to transition and pass on. And so... I was just going to say, so do you feel like for you, creativity still holds such an important positive role in your life then absolutely um and turning and turning those sadnesses or using that sadness but in a positive way yeah i mean i think one of the other things that growing up in the church did for me is that i don't see music as an as a as escapism Hmm. um i see music uh as a tool to communicate um and to heal, yeah. To create a space where people could talk about ideas, and and that's kind of also part of like you know the calypso tradition in, in 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 Trinidad. You know, the 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 peoples of Trinidad at, at the time, specifically um, people of African descent. Um, you know, after being slavery being abolished and all of that, you know, they found a way to talk amongst themselves about the issues they were experiencing. Um, in their very specific Trinidadian context, and that was the beginnings of calypso music. Yeah. Um, and that's not escapism. You know, that's using music as a tool to communicate effectively and um, heal and etc. So that's how I use music. Well, that's that's really beautiful. And um, yeah. well, I, I just wanted to say thank you, Jesse, for for your conversation and for your openness um, about your mum and your grief. And I. I wish you all the best for the future and hopefully perhaps one day I'll, our, our paths will cross in, uh, in physical man. form rather than just yes. over yes, over the yes. internet because I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear you performing these pieces live. So um, Man, I'd love to come to the, to, to the UK to, to play. Fingers crossed. 
Fingers crossed. Fingers Thanks crossed. for appearing, Jesse. Thank you. Thanks so much, Al. And for more information about Jesse and his music, head to his website, jesseryanmuzik.com. Information about the songs that I used in this episode are available in the description. Make sure that you rate and subscribe to this podcast as it will help to spread the word about Feels Like Healing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>